0: So Jesus, we thank you that you are um, loving and patient and kind with us. And when we uh, fail, Lord, you're just revealing our, our areas where we need to trust you more. And Lord God, um, we want to draw near. That's the Holy Spirit inside us. Is it, it puts a desire deep in our heart for holiness. It writes your laws on our hearts, Lord. And we know when we sin and we know when we're uh, convicted. And Lord God, it's so great to be able to walk back into your presence boldly and say that I can, I can be in this holy presence because Jesus makes me holy. Not because I'm uh, holy in my own self or my own actions, but I trust completely and totally in Jesus alone. And Lord, that's how we come to you now. And we ask, Jesus, that you would open our ears so that we can hear. Lord, help us to surrender every part of our life so that church is not just a Sunday thing, but Jesus, you are all-consuming every part of our life. Lord, I pray that our, our, when we have surrender service, Lord, that, that we would be gathering together to pray and, and give that night to you. That we would bring our children to come and pray. Lord, that we would just grow in trusting you. Lord, I pray for each of these events this summer. Lord, for the baptism. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would be glorified in our church and in our lives and in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. By the way, real quick, Baptism. Who is there anyone that, that hasn't been baptized that thinks you may want to get baptized? Just raise up your hand. couple, two, three, four. Okay. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay. So we want to definitely support these guys, whoever wants to come, and maybe there'll be more, um, but we want everyone to come and support them. And so I just wanted to throw that out there. The Baptism, church potluck, is a big deal for everybody here. All right. So, Open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5, and this week's title of the sermon is called The Way in Smack Talk, or The Way in You just call it The Way in um, And uh, you guys know that before a boxing match, you guys seen that, where the two boxers stand up in their underwear, and, they, and they, they announce how much they weigh, and then they always look at each other really angry-like, and they say many bad words, and they talk about how they're going to beat each other up. And and then usually someone throws something and it turns into a big ruckus fight before the actual fight. You guys seen that? Yeah. Well, it happens all the time. And that is what is happening today in the Bible. God and the enemy are having a smack talk war today. And that's what we're going to see. And so... Uh, we've, we're approaching the end of the first section of Exodus. If I could remind you of the outline of the book of Exodus, it goes chapters 1 through 6 is the need for redemption. The whole book of Exodus is about redemption, but the first six chapters is the need for redemption. And we're getting to the end of that here, the smack talk for, before the fight is, is happening today. And then chapters 7 through 11, we're going to see the power of the Redeemer. And then in chapters 12 through 18, we're going to see the way of redemption, the blood, the Passover. It's going to be awesome. then chapters 19 through 24, we're going to see the different behavior of the redeemed, how they change their behavior. And then 25 through 40, we're going to see when the redeemed fail. So it's going to be very instructional. It's going to be really awesome for us over the summer as we continue to go through this um, book of Exodus. But let's go ahead and start now in chapter 5, verse 1. Let's see the smack talk. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, and that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go Three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall on us with pestilence or with the sword. So Moses, he's been in the desert. God met with him at the burning bush. He commissioned him to go and, and, and serve him in this way. And now he has to go in and speak to Pharaoh. And I want you to remember, Pharaoh hates the Jews. He hates them. He, he's killed many of them already. He's enslaved them. This is like walking into the lion's den with a message you know is going to enrage the lion. This is how Moses is feeling. And so I also remember that God has already revealed that Pharaoh is going to be a jerk. God's already told Moses that. He is not going to listen. He's going to harden his heart. We've already learned that. So just the fact that Moses actually does show up shows how powerful God is. Because God is more powerful than our flesh. Moses has many reasons to run and hide. And his flesh, everything inside him, is fearful and is worried and, and there's no reason for him to have peace or for him to obey except for faith. He trusts in the Lord. And so God's power to the faithful is seen here, we see that God has strengthened Moses, given him courage, just like in the New Testament when Paul says that his god 's strength is made perfect in our what weaknesses that 's what Paul said. Paul had something wrong, maybe with his eyes, he kept talking about if you you know that people loved him so much, they wanted to give him their eyes, but they didn't have eye transplant surgeries back then, so i don 't know but in this weakness of Paul's eyesight, God was seen s- strong. All right. Now, he says they need to go three days into the, into the wilderness. But we know that God wants them to leave Egypt and go forever days away. So why does he mention three days here? Is God trying to trick Pharaoh? Is that, are those the ways of God? No, he's not trying to trick Pharaoh. Well, if I get three days away, then we'll be free and we can go, ah! That's not what's happening here. It it would actually take longer to get to Mount Sinai and even longer to get to the Promised Land than three days. So what is God doing here? Well, God is picking a fight with Pharaoh. And God is about to judge Egypt. And so, before God judges Egypt, he is revealing their own hearts by having Moses ask for something that is perfectly reasonable. Something that's not crazy. God's not coming up to Pharaoh and saying, let me take all, all the, everything away forever. No, he says, just, just a little. Hey, are you going to meet me? Just a little bit? Just here, just three days? And in that, Pharaoh and all the people of Egypt are going to reject this simple request and God is going to use their own conscience against them proving to themselves that they're wicked and they have hard hearts. And they have hard hearts against anything of God's will. It's not the distance or the time. God shows here that it's just me that you hate. You hate me. God is revealing this. God is showing the whole world that he is both powerful, he's going to get him out, he's going to kick Satan's butt, but he's also right in everything he does. He doesn't judge for no reason. He judges for hard hearts and rebellion. And that's what's going on here. So God is also proving to the Jews and to their cap that their captors have no interest in freeing them. You know, the Jews have lived with these Egyptians for a couple hundred years now. And if you live for a group of people for a couple hundred years, sometimes you can make friends among them. And here They weren't really friends, but they may have thought, oh, the Egyptians, you know, this is just the way life is. And, and, you know, we serve them and they let us eat the leeks and onions and whatever. But what God is showing them is, listen, your enemy has no interest in your spiritual life, in what's best for you. They have no interest in making a deal. They just want to ruin your life. Okay, and here's the application into your life. The world is not your friend. The world is controlled by Satan. Satan wants to ruin your life, to destroy your life. He wants no fruitful service out of you. He does not want you to go and serve God. The world will not accept you if you want to go serve God. You will be persecuted if you want to go serve God at your job. They may fire you. The Lord may say, Go serve me over here. Speak my word to this person. And someone at your work might say, You can't do that and you're fired. That might happen. But we serve God and not men. Is it, was it more uh, right to listen to the words of God or listen to men? That's what, uh, who said that? Paul, right? When there's jail or something was happening. I forget, might have been Peter, Peter. in Acts. Okay, we got it. You guys are tracking with me, good job. What would I do without Nathan here? Good guy, all right. Listen to what uh, Pharaoh says in his smack talk. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Ooh, you're gonna find out, buddy. You are gonna find out. But what is he saying here? He's saying, I am not going to listen to his command. God commands that I let people go? No. No. I am not going to listen to Don't tell me how to live my life. You ever heard that before? It's a funny phrase. This is the response of Pharaoh to the demand or command of God. And it's just like the response many people in our world Give when they hear the gracious command that the church gives or the word of God gives or their friends who are believers give to repent and believe the gospel. Do you know you have the right to command this world to repent and believe the gospel? We're not just sharing good news with them. We command them to repent and believe the gospel. What if they say no? They can. They can. But they're going to be judged for that. We have every right to command people to repent and believe the gospel. And the, and the, a lot of times they'll be like Pharaoh, if they have hard hearts they'll say, "I'm not going to listen to God." What do you mean I have to believe the gospel in order to go to heaven? I You're so close-minded. You're so narrow-minded. How can you say that? How can you know who I am? I don't have to know who you are. The Bible tells me I command everyone to repent and believe the gospel. It's truth and it's God's gracious command. So instead of receiving God's mercy and God's grace, many people choose to fight against his will. That's what they're saying when they say, I don't you know, want to believe that, but God will win. So why fight him? Because there is this spiritual war going on behind the scenes in the hearts of every man. There's a spiritual rebellion against the rule of God, and, and that influences all the decisions of men. People like to rebel. We like to rebel. If you're honest, we like to rebel. Our flesh loves it, actually. Our flesh finds life there. But our spirit is choked out when we rebel. It's actually very important for us to admit that so that you can put the flesh in its right place. Where does the flesh need to go for a believer? Death. We need to choke it out, right? Like Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Is that a comfortable place to be? No. Being crucified is awful it is painful it is like suffocation you're literally choking out the flesh i've been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ lives in me and the life which i now live i live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me so that's how the flesh should go is we should be crucifying it every day on the cross it gets suffocated how do i do that by opening up the bible by reading and by surrendering your will to God's will in the morning. That's getting your flesh up on the cross, and it's crucifying it. It's suffocating it. Acts 17.30 said, Truly, times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. I bring up that word commands, okay? This is something that we're talking about today. Commands. God commands all men everywhere to repent. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. These are commands of God. He commands us to repent, believe, and love one another. Repent, believe, and one, love one another. And that, that's every, all men everywhere, he says. This is the command of God. And, and a lot of people don't know what God commands. A lot of people in our city. And we need to help them by explaining to them that God commands you to repent. Repent. And he commands you to believe in Jesus Christ alone, his only Son, and to love one another. Those are his commands. But a hard heart doesn't like these commands. It wants to reject them. It wants to rebel. It wants to be prideful. A hard heart does not want to repent. Oh, I like my sin. I don't want to repent. A hard heart does not want to believe. What do you mean? You have? I, I have to believe in Jesus. What about Buddha? What about Muhammad? What about? Evolution, can't I believe in those things? What do you mean I cannot believe in those things? You're going to tell me what I have to believe? Yes. A hard heart doesn't like that. Number three, a hard heart does not like to be told you have to love one another. What about jerks? Do I have to love jerks? What about my husband, the chief of jerks? Do I have to love him? What about my enemies? Jesus says, love one another, all of them every single one of them. Now, is it your job to soften people's hearts or harden people's hearts? No. It's your job to command everyone everywhere to repent and believe and love one another. That is our calling. A soft heart, you may run across, as you're commanding people everywhere to repent, you may run across some soft hearts. Soft hearts hear the word of God. It embraces these commands and receives them with humility see pride keeps people from oh no no my heart no no you're not going to tell me how to live my life a soft heart says yes i need god and i need his commands and i receive them with simplicity and he's right and i'm wrong how does that happen faith being crucified with jesus and living his life in them that's how we can love one another Renouncing those fleshly desires and, and uh, uh, fleshly desires and reasoning, and instead turning to trust trusting in Jesus alone, you might run across people that actually respond that way to commit God's command. See, when you're telling people to command, are, "Is it really you, or is it God through you?" That's what we've got to understand. when we're evangelizing, when we're sharing the gospel. It is God speaking through us. So the response has nothing to do with you. They will reject, some people will reject you because they have hard hearts. And so we have to be prepared for that and understand that the response to our sharing the gospel is not up to us. We never convince anyone to soften their hearts. God does that work. We just share and point them to Jesus, share his commands with them. Well, some people might say, I thought the gospel was like a bonus for my life, or or like a ticket to a post-life vacation. I thought it was just my decision to just kind of go to church and kind of get involved because it's probably the right thing to do. But I can spend most of my life on my own dreams, my own plans, my fulfilling my own desires for a successful, easy, and exciting life. Actually, the gospel is something that must be obeyed. It is not your choice. It's not optional. And it is not some bonus for your life. It is a command to be obeyed. Now check out 1 Thessalonians 1.8. It says, In flaming fire, Jesus, in flaming fire, uh, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back, He's going to take flaming vengeance on those who don't obey the gospel. The gospel is wonderful, the gospel is powerful, the gospel is gracious and merciful, but it's also dreadful for those who reject it and disobey it, those who ignore it, those who say they believe it with their mouth, yet they set it aside in their daily living. The gospel is the life of Jesus given to us Through his spirit. And it must be our all consuming passion, our only source of life, our breath, our food, our plan, our mission, our desire, our joy. What was the command of the law? Do you remember the law? The law said obey and live. You can obey, and if you obey the law completely, you'll live disobey and die it's centered on rules but the gospel what's the command of the gospel repent and believe and loving one another is a fruit of that that's humility and faith repent and believe repent means humble yourself and acknowledge that god is right and you are not believe equals faith believe I have no source of spiritual life in me, but you are my source and I fully depend on you. So Pharaoh, getting back to our story, Pharaoh, he wants none of it. He will not obey the gospel, even though God was willing to save Pharaoh. God was willing. God's willing to save any man. All right, let's get to our text here. Verse four is where we're going to pick it up. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. I have highlighted work and labor in my Bible. I want you to see why here in a minute. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. I have rest highlighted too. This is awesome. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no longer give the people Uh, straw to make brick as before but let them go and gather straw for themselves and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before and you shall not reduce it for their idol another important word therefore they cry out saying let us go and sacrifice to our god and i'm sure that's how pharaoh said it (laughs) pharaoh saying trusting in sacrifice is stupid and listen, trusting in sacrifice is dumb to the world. The world looks at us. We say, I am going to heaven. I am forgiven. I am washed clean. And I am serving God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Right? We are trusting in sacrifice. The world looks at us and said, You guys are lazy and weak. Why don't you guys just try a little harder like us? Look how hard we try. That's what the world says. The world wants to focus on works. God wants us to focus on sacrifice. And the world sees it and thinks we're crazy. It's lazy to just trust in sacrifice. Just trust in what Jesus did for you. Um, Nope. It's not lazy. It is life. It's life. And we fully dive into that life of trusting in Jesus. In fact, we renounce every other form of life, like life that comes from hard work. We renounce that. We say, I will not try to work for my blessings. I will trust in the Lord alone. And I will love people. Well, is loving people a work? Well, it can look like works, but Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13? What's that about? Love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he describes love, and he said, if I give my body to be burned for, for my friends, but have not love. If I give all I have to the poor, but have not love. Okay, so what he's saying is you can act loving, but if it's not in your heart, it doesn't count. Doesn't count. True love, real love, must be from the heart. It must be joyful. You have to really love people. That is God's command. Now, can you change your heart? No, you can't. You must draw near to the Lord, abide in Him, and the love of Christ comes into your heart and changes your heart. What happens when you're not loving to someone? When you know, yeah, I gave them my life. I got up and cooked my wife breakfast this morning, but I was not joyful. I was bitter the whole time. I was angry. I was fearful. What do we do when we recognize that unloving spirit in our hearts? Do we just try harder to love more? No. Right. Rich, you said it. Repent is the answer repent we confess it to the lord lord i want to do loving things but they're annoying the boogers out of me i I don't love them right now okay i need you christ jesus to put love in me and i'm depending on you to do that and then you step out in faith to again do the loving deed in faith and in humility saying I'm going to do this, I'm going to, and I'm going to do it with joy. And I'm going to allow your spirit to now come into me. I'm going to ask your spirit to come into me and cause my actions to truly be loving. Because like 1 Corinthians 13 says, even if I give my body to be burned, if it's not love, it is pointless. It is worthless, and God only looks at the heart. What is the command of the gospel? Repent, believe, believe. And love, two of those you have control over. You can repent. You can turn around and say, I'm wrong and God's right. You can believe. You can have faith and say, this is what God says, so I'm going to trust it. I'm going to base my life on it. That's right, I'm wrong. And love is the fruit of those first two. It's still something that God has to do. It's in you. All right, in Exodus chapter 5, verse four four we see again. Oh wait, sorry, we, we just read that. We fully dive into this life. Now look what he said. Let more let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. Pharaoh is all kinds of smack talk right here. He's saying God's words are false words. He has An unbelieving heart. And it's sad because this world literally thinks God lied in the Bible. God cannot lie. That's his character. But this world says, I'm not going to believe in God. His words are false words. And that's what's so sad about the unbelieving heart. Is that they're seeing a lie where it's truth. They could be set free by the truth. But instead they see a lie. You know, we should talk about hell. We should. We should. The Bible talks more about hell than about heaven, right? And the Bible's full of warnings for for those who want to fight against God, want to rebel against God. The Bible's full of warnings. God is full of smack talk. Don't mess with me. Don't rebel all day, he says. (laughs) And these are not the empty threats of of little boxers. It's the terrible and dreadful truth spoken with all seriousness. God says, do not mess with me. Do not rebel against me. Do not reject the gospel. Is the gospel mean? Well, it was for Jesus. Oh, yeah, God was mean to Jesus. God let his anger fall upon Jesus. But for you, the gospel is what? Good news. Great news. Don't reject it. Repent and believe is our our command to everybody. He is offering life freely to everyone who will just humble themselves and believe what Jesus has done. That's so good news. It's easy to share. So let's see what happens. The taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will give you no straw. Now get yourselves, go get yourself straw where you can find it. Yet none of you, none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, fulfill your work. I have that underlined in my Bible. Fulfill your work. Ah, the enemy. He loves you to focus on your work. Your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also, the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And we're asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? Pharaoh represents who? The devil, Satan, right? He is never happy that the people of God are being delivered. He hates it. And he will do everything in his power to cause us to become fearful, worried about things of this earth. He wants us to be bothered, to be persecuted, to be troubled. Satan loves to be the source of bad things in your life. He loves it. How can we resist him? Peter says, resist him steadfast in the faith. Faith. Faith is how we resist the devil. First Peter 5.8 is where we find that verse. And it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, Peter says, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by a brotherhood in the world. So when Satan comes and, and he causes there to be big trials in your life, we keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. It's easy. We trust in the Lord. We look to the Lord, keeping your eyes. Trust him in every trial, and he will deliver you out of them all. Why? Because he's a deliverer. That is his nature. It is his job. He loves nothing. He will not fail to deliver you. Well, how do I know I'm one of his children? Do you believe in what he did? You're born again. Let the Spirit lead you and guide you to trust him always. Now, he says in here that the command of Pharaoh was, Fulfill your work. Fulfill your work. Work harder. Work more. Fulfill it. And I want you to notice that the enemy, the enemy, will always be directing your attention back to your work. The Spirit is always directing your attention towards whose work? Jesus' work on your behalf on the cross. The Spirit leads your attention. Now, does this mean we ignore our behaviors? No, we repent for unbiblical, ungodly behaviors. We repent about them. But here's the difference between repenting and looking towards your work or or being all about works. Repenting, you say, I'm wrong, very simply. God's right, and I can do nothing to change my past. So I look to Jesus and what he did on the cross to wash away what I did in the past and to change my heart for the future. Versus, I did something wrong, and I'm going to try harder next time to not do that thing again. What was the focus of the second one? Whose power? Me. My power. Who gets the glory if I actually do right the next time? Me. I get the glory. And if, is me getting the glory a good thing? No. Well, but me doing a good thing is a good thing. Not necessarily. If you're getting the glory, it doesn't glorify God. And if we're not glorifying the God, we've messed up already. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. The enemy says, fulfill your work. What have you done? We get convicted. What have you done? The enemy comes, look at your life. What have you done? Oh, we're so disappointed in you. We should respond with, what did he do? Ooh, that's a good response. I sinned, I was wrong, he died for that sin. He forgives me. He cleanses me by his blood and sacrifice. We cannot stay in the place of condemnation when we lift our eyes to Jesus and hear him say, you are not condemned anymore, right? That's freedom. Don't delay, run to Jesus right when you sin. Don't let there be time. It, it, be forgiven and set free with your next breath after sinning. Lift your eyes to the Lord. It, it's a wonderful power and promise in this gospel that we have. We are free from the power of sin. What does 1 John one eight says? If we confess our sins to the Lord, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He does not say He puts you in a timeout. Yes, I'll forgive you, but you're in the naughty chair, for a little while. But don't we live like that? Oh, I just sinned. I need to, I I can't open up the Bible right now. I got to think about what I did. I got to really feel bad about it. Where in the Bible does it say feel bad about your sins? Does it? Now, our sins are awful. You should feel bad, but guess what? We lift our eyes to Jesus and we're forgiven and we step forward in that. And that's why we can't let our feelings ruin us and delay our coming to Jesus. We have to be stronger than your feelings. God, it says God is stronger than our hearts, even if our hearts condemn us. That's what that verse means. Even if your heart is like, you're a loser. You sinned. God is like, did you confess it? Then you're forgiven. Walk forward in forgiveness. Don't, let, don't put yourself in time out. You're free. Verse 20. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge. So these, the Jews are really ticked at Moses and Aaron right now. Because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses, check this out, highlight it, returned to the Lord. Woo. And he said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on these people? Why is it that you sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, neither have you delivered your people at all. So look, the people of God are in a hurry. But if you remember, that's one lesson that Moses has learned, right? Moses was in a hurry to be the deliverer. And he saw the Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he killed him. He rose up in the flesh and did what his flesh thought was smart. Look what he does now. Look how different it is. And this is the difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. The flesh says, what do I do? And it makes it whatever it thinks it does. And the spirit returns to the Lord and prays. That's how you can tell you're walking in the spirit. Well, do I have this desire to come back to the Lord. No, he complains to the Lord, which is fine. Lord, I don't understand what's going on here. Uh, are you really with us? Or did you send me? Why are you doing this? I don't understand. All that is fine. The big lesson here is that he returned to the Lord instead of just making decisions based on his flesh. Does that make sense? The difference? It's dangerous to be in a hurry and to trust in the flesh instead of waiting upon the Lord. So Moses here, he shows he's, he's learned this huge lesson. And, and he goes to the Lord, he brings his troubles to God, he shows that he's completely dependent on God, and he's going to wait for God's answer. And he's not going to do whatever he wants, he's not going to trust in the flesh. Psalm 37.7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers, prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Moses turns to prayer now, instead of his own strength, which he did in the murder. He calls on the, upon the Lord in humility and faith. He calls upon God to fulfill his promises. And we're going to see that's exactly what God wants to do, is fulfill his promises. It, it's what he's planning to do. And that is the right way for us to pray, guys. And I'm gonna ask you: do you pray like that? About the promises of God? Well, how do you do that? I'm gonna teach you real quick. You read the word, you identify a promise of God. Such as 1 John 1:8. What, do what does 1 John 1 8 say? If you confess your sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That is a promise of God related to the gospel. And so you read the word, you identify the promise, then you ask God to give you that promise. That shows humility. Lord, I'm dependent on you. This is your word, not mine. I'm not looking at my word, how I think life should be. I think I should just stop sinning. That's how I think it should work. I think I should just be good enough, but I'm not. I'm going to listen to your word. I'm going to believe your word that says I must confess it, and then you're faithful to do all the work of forgiving me and cleansing me from unrighteousness. And then we step out in faith. So we read the word. We identify the promise of the gospel. We ask God to give you that promise, and then you step out in faith, believing God is going to give you the promise he made. That is the life Jesus has for us. That's the life. Well, what do you do next? Go back to the word. Find another promise. Pray that promise. Step out in faith believing it. Then go back to the word. Identify another promise. Believe that one. Then step out in faith. Do you see how this cycle produces dependent relationship upon God? And not self-centered living, not self-sufficient living, but literally we're killing our flesh every day, choking it out as we read the word, identify a promise, believe the promise, and step out in faith. That that promise is real. We have asked God, we are receiving from God, and in this interaction of asking and receiving and believing and trusting, our relationship with him grows strong like a tree, planted by the waters that is strong. And when the winds come and the storms come, you're fine. Hey, I've trusted in the Lord for many things. And and his promises have always come true in the past, so why aren't they going to come true this time? I have no reason. They are. And now Satan has no foothold in your life because you have grown strong, in dependent, humble, faithful relationship with the Father. That's how it works. It's simple. That's all religion. That's what it should be. And that's our study for today.